cliffcentral.com. So I normally wouldn't read what any publicity department or assistant sends me, but this is beautifully written, so I'm just going to go ahead with it. And you'll understand why once I start speaking to my guest. Careers can start with a phone call. Hers did twice. As a go-getting journalist wanting to change the world, she received her first important phone call from Jim Stodel of African Theatres asking her to run the press office. She did just that and quickly saw there were enough audiences in South Africa for more shows to be brought in. And so at the age of 22, the youngest and also the first woman to do so, she started Showtime Management. Her first show was Stars of the American Ballet. The second phone call was from hotel magnate Sol Kersner. He invited her to go on a helicopter flight with him to see a building site miles from nowhere, nestling in an ancient volcanic crater with a heap of building material that would one day be Sun City. He was mad, she thought, but it was madness that she liked, and she accepted his offer to run the entertainment side of Sun City. He tempted her by dropping in names like Sinatra, and 14 years later... She was dropping names of her own. Freddie Mercury, Liza Minnelli, Elton John, Rod Stewart. Her big lesson from Sol was, if you can dream it, you can do it. After Sun City, she adopted his motto and went on to greater challenges. The Rolling Stones, Pavarotti, The Three Tenors, musicals like Chicago, Rent, Dreamgirls, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and so many more. My guest is Hazel Feldman. Gosh, thanks. That's, uh, well, that's, that's, you see that's what a I trip mean? down memory lane, my gosh. But beautifully God. written. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and all true. Exactly. Uh, what a start to, to both your beginnings at, you know, kind of working for African theater, but then also this amazing story with Sol. And yeah. it's all, it's, you went up in a helicopter. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. But, you know, I've, I've Cliff, I've been blessed. You know, I, one, one, one looks at, things and, and, and looks back at life and, and you say there are pivotal moments and, and, and my pivotal moment moments have honestly been the telephone and the telephone rings. I, I wanted to retire 40 times, but the telephone rings. I mean, at my age, I seriously should be sitting with my feet up and four margaritas and, you know, a couple of 25 year olds with grapes. But my, my reality is that I'm still, Working and 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 loving you it. You still got you Sam know. and you know. And Sam Sam is retired. He's he's having a great time. He's uh, he's actually shot under his age in the golf course okay. recently. So there he is. He's beside himself. And you're out and, there. And I'm grinding. out there busting my backside. And uh, <laughs> my son Tony is constantly doing stuff that I have no clue what he's doing because I don't understand stuff like ultra music festivals and uh, and. Uh, well, I do kind of understand, I suppose, the, the entertainment value of something like uh, Monster Jam. But uh, the, the ultra music festivals are way out of my realm. I, I, but you've I just, been to one. and I've been to one. And uh, I honestly, uh, Sam and I brought the average age of, of the audience up by about 100 years. Uh, it was very, <laughs> very scary to actually see everybody actually going nuts for these DJs. Uh, who twiddle buttons? Yeah, I know. I am totally gonna get no, you, messed you, you will. with that because that's what they do. They twiddle buttons and push the sound higher. And is there <laughs> is there a vocal component to that? Is there any vocal talent with that? I'm not a hundred percent certain. 
But yeah, I've, I've been. It's been. It's. I've had a wild ride. It's. It's. Uh, it's just fantastic, Gareth, to have, to to look back and uh, and just remember some of the crazy times. It's been terrific. So I mean, we're going to get a little bit nostalgic. I hope you don't mind that. But some of these these names and some of these people you've worked with are incredible, world famous artists. Some of them have have died. I mean, Freddie yeah. Mercury's no longer with us. You know, yeah. you 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 had to. Deal with him losing his voice, yes. I remember, right? Yeah, I mean, that's one of that's probably the deal. most. Yeah, it was oh. a big deal. And, and in actual fact, that my relationship with Queen, their manager, Jim Beach, uh, actually started. I was desperate to bring Queen out to Sun City. Sol kept telling me, we're a Las Vegas-style showroom. We do the Sinatras and the Liza Minnelli's and the shows. We do not do rock and roll. And I said, we want Queen. And uh, he said, well, if you can get there, we'll talk about it. And I literally spent on and off maybe seven trips to London. And I used to sit on the steps outside of Jim Beach, Queen's management, the Queen management office in Notting Hill and wait for, for Jim to come into the office. And I nagged him until... He came out, had a look at Sun City and said, okay, under certain conditions, we prepare to come. And sadly, I mean, it was the most extraordinary, extraordinary tour. We did 11 shows. Well, we booked 11 shows. We sold out 11 shows in about maybe two hours. Computicket wow. pretty much crashed. And that was in, in the old days, days of the phone, right? People had the phone. phone and, and there was Computicket and so on. And so Sol crapped on me for um, bringing in a rock and roll show. And then he crapped on me when we sold out because he said I must have priced it too low. <laughs> so, you know, I was never going to win with him. But this, the shows were fantastic. And, I, and sadly, we were literally three shows. We opened the Friday night, uh, Friday to Saturday, the early show Sunday, and then on the late show on the Sunday. Uh, we were sitting actually in, in the, in the green room backstage. Was that at the Super Bowl? At the Super Bowl. Wow. And suddenly, um, I'm with Jim and suddenly he's just started Bohemian Rhapsody and it's just the bit of the piano. He'd been about 30, 35 minutes into the show and it's the opening keyboards of Bo Rap and, uh, suddenly went quiet. And my media, <laughs> being a seller, my media calls it, oh, my God, we've had a, a, a power, power surge or something's gone wrong. You were ahead of and your I'm time. And I'm waiting ahead of my time and I'm waiting <laughs> for 10 seconds for the Jennies to, to kick in. One, two, three, nothing, nothing. And then I hear murmuring, you know, that murmur mm. that comes up. And then suddenly there's, like, we get up, we go into the corridor backstage and oh, Freddie comes running down and he's, crying and Brian's crying and, and, and everybody's going, what's happened? It went like this. There's no throat, uh, no no voice, the, the the finger across his throat. He lost his, his voice simply packed up. There was nothing coming out of, no vocal sound at all wow. coming out of his throat. And Jim and I had to go up on stage and tell 8,000 people to please keep their seats, keep their tickets, but... Um, we were going to have to cancel this show, and we canceled the next three shows, and we actually added some shows on at the end when Freddie got a little better. We flew up an ENT specialist to Sun City to actually take care of him. And sadly, that, that, 
which we understood later was the first sign. It was massive polyps and that the, on, the AIDS, on the yeah. on the, the uh, but so, you, so there you was see, the beginning. I mean, this is part of history. When you watch movies like that one that they made recently about oh, Freddie Mercury, I mean, you, because you had a like a real life connection yes, with this man. Yes, and you must have you must have found yourself in tears. Yeah, in tears. I have to be honest, in tears. There, I, it was a brilliant portrayal. It was a brilliant portrayal. It was so so. They were so real. It really was, and and that's what he was. He was. He was he was his own man in so many ways, you know. He and and he thrived. I think he was very lucky because it was a very interesting time. If you know anything about how those bands got together, but they lucked out the the four guys in getting Jim Beach as a manager yeah. because Jim created a democracy with the band. There were always five, including Jim, there were five votes for whatever they did. It was never one person dictating anything. Right. So it was the five of them, always, always together. And that sense of togetherness, even though they were such different characters, unbelievably different characters, um, but that togetherness is what created that, that he could create the kind of music he created. I mean, when and, you think, and, and Bo Rap was but written in 1972. But also I mean, that it lived beyond Freddie, you know, oh, that it, yeah. because that's, that normally when, when a band loses their, their, their front man, yeah. it falls apart. Yeah. You get little tribute things here and mm. there, but they've gone on mm-hmm. to have, you have know, performed at Buckingham Palace, I don't know, a hundred times. Yeah. They've got musicals and books and movies and, you know the the yeah. brand is still out the there. The brand and it's is out there. They're touring with Adam Lambert. Yes, uh, the, the the three guys. No, it's it's the two of them. Uh, it's Brian and Roger. Brian right? and Roger. It's not John Deacon. Um, and uh, of course, we will rock you, which is uh, which has been going now for oh gosh, what uh, it's 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 nearly eighteen years. It's been going, and 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 Brian. Brian didn't mind it. Roger hated the show. He hates musicals. You should actually get together with him and just come to think about it. <laughs> get along yeah, really Gareth, well. You, yeah, you, I must introduce you to, to, uh, look, to Roger. Don't, don't go and disparage me now. No, I, 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 I want to sit here and pay tribute to you for all the incredible <laughs> things you've done. So you mentioned him twice already, but I do want to just spend a minute talking about Sol. Yeah. Because Sol Kersner, who I also had the good fortune to meet not so long ago and not so long before he died, Entirely by chance at, a, at a, a, a private dinner in London, and I sat with him for a little while and talked to him. But that man and his ability to see an incredible dream materialize mm. gave South Africa its first taste of international entertainment, leisure. I mean, really, we would have been a hokey mm. kind of Absolutely. outlying – no, nowhere to go place if, if it wasn't for his vision. No and, and all over the world, way beyond South Africa, he created Atlantis and, you know, he did these amazing, amazing things. You worked with him probably closer than anyone else who, yeah. from, uh, from, from the entertainment From the point. entertainment perspective, he, he's had, uh, I mean, it's a tribute to him that he had so many people who worked so long for him and with him. You know, um, I was 14 years with Sol. And uh, running the entertainment, running Sun City, going through the growing pains of Sun City and the build-up of it. I mean, it, it was insane. Uh, it really was. When we flew over in that helicopter, and that, that's not an urban myth, uh, we 
cruise. It was Sam and myself. We flew in the helicopter with him. I was frightened to death. And we go swooping over this, this, this mountain into this valley that is a building site of sand, sand. And he says, and that's going to be the golf course and that'll be ready in about eight months. I mean, how's he going to grow a golf course in eight months? <laughs> and that hole in the ground is going to be where the theater is. And eventually we're going to build a Super Bowl, but that's going to be in phase two or three. And that's going to be in that space. And the first hotel is here and the, and I'm thinking, this guy's insane. This guy's certifiable. Hmm. Is that certifiable that I think I want to be along for the ride? You know, wow. It was absolutely insane. So you just knew so, you were dealing with no, something there was special. Something, there was something extraordinary about him. And, and it's that sense of belief that, that was amazing. And you needed to deal. You had a thick skin to deal with Sol. You hmm. need, really needed it because, you know. He's reactive. Very reactive. Very loud. Marginally profane, which of course I've never been in my life. No, uh, no, 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 not at all. And but his again that vision he instilled in us. So it it was if you want to do something and you believe it's going to make a difference, then do it. Don't talk about it. Yeah. Don't tell me how it, you're going to do it. He didn't care. If you're going to do it. Do it. But he didn't need to know the, the ABC of it. No. You know, you get from A to Z, do it. And, and if it worked out, you were, you, it, you, were, sure. you, you were golden. Yeah. But if you screwed up, yeah, he gave you. He yeah. would tear you a no, new. There's no question. There's no question. <laughs> and it was a very, very difficult political time. Of course. Very difficult. And, and this is something time. else which I'm sure you've spoken about ad infinitum, but we've never had this conversation. When you're booking all these amazing people to come here, there's the, the incredible complication of Apartheid South Africa And a lot of them don't want to come Because it's going to make mm. them look bad internationally mm. And a lot of them do come And then they only realize afterwards That it's caused them a lot of PR problems But you're just trying to do business yeah. In this very mixed up world A very mixed up world And a, a, against very, very Different and difficult backgrounds Because you, you not only had The, the, the apartheid world uh, you, had, you had apartheid South Africa you had the so-called Bapudaswana independence, so-called. Um, you, you had, you had the strange dichotomy of when you went into Bop and you were at Sun City, you had this complete non-racial interactive situation where it was there, even if, even if it was, if it was a false narrative, but it was, but it, it, but, it felt different. But it felt different, and it gave South and Africans it, yeah, a glimpse of what the rest of the world looked like. If and never and it was so inclusive; it really and truly was inclusive. On that note, is it worth giving a little credit to Lucas Mangope because he gets a very bad rap these days? And of course, he wasn't perfect, and he did a lot of things it, that were in cahoots with the old government, and people yeah. people have branded him a traitor and all the rest of it, but. Really, like if I think about entertainment in this country, and maybe I'm just going off on a tangent, but Bop TV, Radio Bop, these kinds of things established in, in, in the black community in South Africa, particularly the, the Tswana-speaking community, obviously, it established an entertainment pipeline, which we continue to see results from at a time when nowhere else was it possible for black people with talent to rise. I, I honestly believe that he had – the luck of having Sol being so involved in his in his particular enclaves, mm. because Sol was the one who encouraged 
open up, create facilities, bring the people along, uh, open up different elements. Uh, they had, uh, um, I remember when Rosemary Mangopi, uh, um, the daughter-in-law, uh, opened up the uh, Mabata Cultural, uh, uh, Cultural Center. I mean, they, they, she went around and saw cultural centers around the world. It, it was a model. I wanted to look at it. I wanted to bring it and put it in Joburg. Mm. Where, where was our, such a cultural center in Joburg, mm. in Soweto, in anywhere? We still don't have one. No. You know, we still don't have one. And so I think they managed to do stuff that perhaps I think a little nudge here and there from Seoul made him do. Um, <laughs> will I, will I give him? Uh, a good rap? No, not really. But um, <laughs> hey, I, I I benefited from the fruits of what that was. I'll, I cannot deny it. It's it's history, and that's the reality. Um, but it, it was it was a tough thing. I he actually fired me. I don't know if you know no, this, but tell me. yeah, I I had a fascinating time towards the towards the end of the eighties. It was becoming nigh impossible to actually get. Very, very big name act. So I, I got quite involved uh, with certain contacts I'd had from years back uh, with what was then the MDM, the Mass Democratic Movement, and I was also uh, meeting very surreptitiously at that time with some of the people from the ANC. And the idea was, By the guys, way, that could have got you into big trouble the, yeah, the because, wrong people found out. Because very simply when he did find out, uh, Mangopi. Um, he said, I was, um, bringing the sovereignty of the nation into question. Uh, and he sent an email to the MD at the time, uh, you need to get rid of her. Wow. And, and, and <laughs> I was actually told that if I went to Sun City, they couldn't guarantee my safety for a certain period of time that, that went down. And, uh, I said, well, you know, so be it, whatever, but it's not going to, change what we're doing and the the conversations i was having with people here was okay guys understand i understand where you're coming from we're going to cool it for a period of time with a very very big act these are the names we, we have already booked i had acts like black sabbath and so on that were already booked and i said however now you want a platform for south african talent because the the um Exiled musicians were starting to come back into South Africa and they were looking for platforms mm. to actually perform. I said, fine, you've got the Super Bowl. Let's find stuff to do in the Super Bowl. And we did a whole series of jazz concerts called One Night's Journey Through Jazz that uh, involved mass all, all the big-name uh, exiled musicians that came back it's like a Duke Ellington band. We wow. had 150 musicians and it was God, just amazing. amazing. And we did a, a number of different kinds of concerts and so on. And it became a platform. And as things started to ease towards the end of the 80s into the early 90s and then obviously when Mandela was released or we knew that Mandela was going to be released and we knew that things were going um, – it obviously eased up after FW – not FW, yeah. PW, 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 after PW. he went away. Yeah. And, and when FW came in, it was, it was 
it was different. But I mean, it was it was not an easy easy time. But I'm so glad I asked you about that because to be fired by Lucas Mangope should also be on no, the I've got the letter. That's still. hilarious. It's lovely. I've That's got the lovely letter. So yeah. obviously, when people sit down with you, and you probably know these stories like the back of your hand because you've had to relate them so many times. But all these famous people, but you. The hard slog is with the managers, mm. the agents. Agent. Oh I mean, God. and some of this stuff, because people don't know how it used to work now. Obviously, everybody's on social media, so you can tweet your favorite star, and they might even reply. Uh, I hate to tell you this, but in the beginning, do you know what a telefax is? Uh, I know what a fax is. No, you don't know what a telefax is. What's a so telefax? A telefax is a machine that's probably um, – about three foot high, three foot wide, uh, and it had a yellow tape that you used to type on a keyboard, and this yellow tape would come through. Like a ticker. Like a ticker tape. It was a, called a telefax. Mm-hmm. And that's how we used to send across overseas because the fax hadn't been invented yet. Wow. In I'm talking about the early 80s. I sat with a telefax machine. Sending the contracts through. And remember, there's no mobile phones. There's really no computers. There's really no internet of consequence. There's no faxes. Yeah. I mean, when faxes came out, it was, it was, it was a miracle. We yeah. could, we could get a contract and we could return a contract. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was fantastic. Um, but yeah, in, in the early days, it was very, very difficult to, to deal and a time, time. Oh yeah. It just took it forever, took. right? With agents that and lawyers. really and lawyers, agents, lawyers, managers was tough. So it wasn't just like you'd pick up the phone and go, "Hey, um, we'd love to have the Rolling Stones. How much do we have to pay?" No. And they'd say, "Cool, we've got a gap here." I mean, that no. was unheard of. Everything was laborious. Yeah. It was laborious. Beyond and, and, belief. And understand something as well with South Africa: we are at the end of the world. Mm. We're not near anybody. No, so they can't just and add it no, into a tour. We're not an add-on. No. We're not an add-on. We're, we're, we're a destinations place. And unlike Australia and, uh, you know, the, 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 the concerts that they'll do there, Pink will go to Australia and she'll do 36 concerts. Yeah. She'll come to South Africa, maybe do four, yeah. maybe five. Mm-hmm. You know, that's about it. You'll, you'll get a Justin Bieber come out here. Uh, that, that, who Ati uh, was was going to bring? He'll do one in each center. What mm. are the centers? Three yeah. or two. That's yeah. it. That's all you can do. You know, you go to Australia. They'll do forty-five different concerts. Yeah, so it's worth it's, their while. It's worth their there. while in a in a period of time, and to come all the way out here is a very very tough thing. And, and we have falling to, over. We have to pay to them in out. dollars, but we only charge and ticket prices in rands. So again, it's like this is a tough tough business. It it's is. almost it almost reminds me a little bit of the airlines with the you know the cost of mm. of aviation fuel and the fact that these margins are actually terribly thin. Yeah. So a lot of people think, oh well, Hazel Feldman, having dealt with all these people, must be. Unbelievably wealthy. She must be a billionaire. Uh, <laughs> She's still working, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. She's still working at her age. She's still working. Um, it, it's, it's, getting, it's getting more difficult. I mean, when we did Frank Sinatra, uh, you, one rand bought a dollar twenty. Mm-hmm. Okay? Nowadays, a dollar to to you you'll need eighteen rand fifty to buy one dollar. 
Before, it was the other way around. Tell me about it. I mean, oh. it's, it's crazy. When I started, funnily enough, uh, it, it started to go pear-shaped terribly badly in, in 84, which, mm-hmm. of course, was the Rubicon speech of yes. our dear friend. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, um, when I started negotiating with, with Queen, uh, I remember having this conversation with Sol. We started, the, the rand had already slipped to about it was about five rand twenty or so to the dollar, but it was still kind of worthwhile. All of a sudden, by the time we brought them, we were we were pushing seven eight rand. That's massive variances when you're talking about millions of dollars. Massive. And then you variances. have to cancel concerts and, and you're refund canceling people. concerts and you're refunding and and you you we have a finite amount that we can charge the public here. You know, I you go to a concert. I've been following a couple of things overseas. You can actually be paying upwards of a thousand fifteen hundred dollars mm-hmm. dollars mm-hmm. for a ticket. You want to go to Hamilton? You'll pay three hundred dollars, sure. and that's that's the rack rate. And if it's a sold out, then you're paying premium. Yeah. So and if you, you know, want a good ticket, you're, you're paying, paying even more. Yeah, I mean, even um, Monster Jam, a family show. In at, at the moment, they're, they're doing a very big tour of uh, of uh, the, the the U.S. Uh, their average ticket price is ninety dollars. Their average ticket price. Now we can't ask no. people to pay no. the equivalent in rands. It's no, just it's no. it's outrageous. At, by right? eighteen, I mean, so, it's crazy. So I mean, this is the business of what you do. Oh, it's yeah. the you know, there's the unglamorous side of things, and people. We'll hear stories about you and the Rolling Stones or Chicago. I mean, there must be some incredible, incredible stories and, and things that you can't even tell that, you know, while the people Lots. are still around, <laughs> you can't. But I'm sure that there are some that stick out for you even, even if you're, you know, and I don't think you are, but even if you were jaded and over it <laughs> and kind of sick of telling the stories and, and, and people are all, they have these, these, you know, Google-eyed, uh, outrageous views of what might or might not have occurred. But some of them must still stick in your mind. Some of them must still be the things that you remember because you dealt with these people yeah. face-to-face. Yeah. Look, I, again, um, I think probably one of the things that's always worked for me um, is that I'm really not that starstruck. I get more excited when I stand at the back of an absolutely packed theater or a stadium and I watch the audience, and I watch the right. audience go ballistic, and that's that's when I get so that's excited, and that's my that's my serious kick. I mean, I to go and meet someone and shake their hand and do all of that's lovely. You know, some of them are really nice, some of them are really full of crap, um, <laughs> most of them, and and the people around them even more so. So some of them I honestly just avoid. Uh, and have avoided, but and, and uh, you would you would often uh, delegate that responsibility yeah. to other oh. people if you could. And, you, and, you I, would... and I and I have as well because I, w- I will do an initial an initial meet because you kind of have to, mm. um, and then if I actually get that strange vibe, I think I really don't need to be around. I'm not a person who kisses backsides at all. It's not my thing, and you know it's so fine. It's a business. We have a business a job to do. And I have a fantastic team of uh, of people, and they'll do the job. Um, there are some people, you know, who over the years, in a strange way, you find an affinity to. You, you, some of them I've met when subsequently going overseas and met them again, and so on. 
and uh, but a, a hell of a lot of them not, not really. But I think that when you are sitting in the presence of real genius, and you can oh. you can actually hear Elton John playing that piano yeah. from walking distance, you know, yeah. you could basically spit at him if you wanted to. That's quite special, even I, for someone like you who's yeah, looking at the numbers, looking at the audience, yeah. making sure that everything's in place. You've got responsibilities. But there must have been a couple of moments where you looked around and went, this is quite a big deal. I, th- there's genius. Mm. Sinatra's genius. Yeah. He was genius. Even at his age when he came out, and he was, he was actually in quite good voice when he came out, but he was also starting to, to go. Uh, Liza Minnelli, we had her in, a, in her heyday. And, I mean, she was just uh, just the most brilliant singer, dancer. What a tragic All figure. All-round entertainer. Everything. Right? What a she, tragic figure. Just her mother. Judy Garland. Reincarnate, sadly. You know, all the foibles that her mother had, she had. But w- when she stepped on that stage, she was on another planet. And there are not too many like her. One amazing thing. I mean, Elton, interestingly enough, over the years we became went to see Elton in different parts of the world and had spent quite a bit of time with him. Um, I even went to his home in uh, in L.A. Um, I was desperate to get Elton out, and it was it was difficult. He would, he was thinking about it. He wasn't thinking about it, and I had Rod Stewart coming out. So I said to him, how about this? Rod Stewart's coming out. How about you come out when he's there? He said, you know what? On condition you don't tell him I'm coming. Oh, and brilliant. And you keep it quiet. So Rod opened on the Friday night. Elton arrived on the Saturday morning. He was there for four days. He was going to come in just for four days from London. He brought 14 cases, but 14 of the ma- of the, the biggest <laughs> cases I've ever seen this in my life. This is just his clothes, right? Yes, just his clothes and his shoes and his glasses, <laughs> and I don't know what else. And um, he arrived in the morning. On the morning flight from, from the UK, uh, Rod had a matinee that Saturday afternoon and we walked Elton onto side stage and Rod was performing and Elton walked on in the middle of a number. Oh, my God. The audience went nuts. Rod just went ballistic. That was just a magic That's moment. So and the two of them actually performed for I – mean, he did about three numbers with him. And then, you know, went off. Wow. And, uh, I mean, that, that was Elton fantastic. seems to like doing this, though. I saw an incredible YouTube video the other day of him and Billy Joel mm. doing Goodbye Yellow Brick Road yeah. together, yeah. both on the piano. Yeah, and they had, they, they, they did a, oh, they did a wow. concert. I saw them in Dallas. Uh, oh, God. Oh, it was wow. amazing. I saw them at, at, in a stadium, which I'm not you see, mad when about you're, going when you're to not stadiums. doing the event, you can enjoy it. I can absolutely. <laughs> and they had the pianos face to face, the yeah. two grand pianos face to face, so they were looking at each other. And, uh, it was like dueling pianos with Billy Joel and, and it was one of the, the, Best shows I've ever seen in my life. I could, and he it. is such a performer, Elton. He just oh man. If anybody gives, there are some performers who will actually walk through their their their, their shows. He gives a hundred and ten percent, and if he can't give a hundred and ten percent, he actually would rather not do the show. So I've heard lots and lots of stories about Pavarotti. Yeah, probably a lot of them are urban legend. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them sound like they could be true. Like he was very difficult and extremely kind of self-aware and 
wanted things done just a certain mm. way and would only come on to do X, Y, and Z and then get off again. You can even see it now if you watch old videos of, of, of his performances that he's kind of takes it terribly seriously, no sense of humor about the whole thing. And whether he was putting on a character or not, he never breaks it. He, I think because that voice was just so as, as strong and majestic. as it was and majestic, it was delicate. So I think, as you say, he took himself extremely seriously and he felt that he needed to protect the voice Is at all Is it true time. he needed an, an extremely big lavatory? Towards the end, the, the last time we brought him out, he needed an extremely big everything. Uh, he was uh, he wasn't in good shape. He was really but not. not. The, but I get the, the funny feeling. Enough, yeah, the, the first time when we brought him out in 19... 96. He came out the beginning of 96 and he did the first time when we did the outdoor stadiums in, uh, in Stellenbosch because I couldn't get a stadium in Cape Town. So we went into the rugby stadium at Stellenbosch University and uh, we did it. It was just magical with the, the, the mountains. these mountains behind oh. us uh, on the rugby field. Wow. And then we went to Loftus and we did the Loftus show. And he was in actually pretty good voice. He was in actually pretty good shape for him. Mm. An enormous man, but in pretty good shape. And I think because that was the beginning of the relationship with a girlfriend yes. uh, who then became the wife. And she was there as his double quotes assistant. Um, so he was in actual good shape. She tended to take care of him more than faff he needed around. us to faff around her to faff around him. So, yeah. you know, it, she was it, making it was, herself useful. Yeah, she did make herself pretty useful, which was fine. <laughs> that got in your way. Uh, no, she actually never did. Oh, okay. She never did. Uh, I, I didn't, I don't care. So long as if you've got to do something at three o'clock, Dan will be there by five to three. You know, that's the thing. I don't care about the rest of the stuff. Just, you know, just don't tell me at, at 10 to three, I'm not doing it. What, was there, and there must have been a few, but is there one that, that you remember where someone just was buggering around and you had an audience that were getting a little bit more angry than usual or where you were getting more angry than oh, usual? I got, very angry with a lot of people, but um, I'm trying to think where they words? left down. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, I had out there with Barry Manilow. Oh, yeah? Barry Manilow, yeah? and I did not see eye to eye. What, is no. he a bit prima donna-ish? A beyond prima donna Really? And, uh, in fact, he decided uh, backstage of the Super Bowl, uh, nobody could walk through or look at him eye contact before he went on stage, Sol used to bring his entourage through the backstage, sure. through to his seats, which were in always obviously in the front row of the Super Bowl. And he used to come in if the show was at eight o'clock. Sol used to rock up at about five to eight, which was more or less the time that Barry Manilow decided to come out of the dressing room and come through. So, <laughs> not our security, but Manilow had his own goons who decided that this little man puffing his cigarette in those days uh, and his entourage could not come through the backstage. Oh, boy, clash of egos. Oh, boy, clash, no, clash of the titans, even though he was five foot ten, maybe five foot eight. So. Only, he must have and incandescent. He went, went apeshit. He really did. He <laughs> started screaming for me. Uh, everybody, I was in the auditorium and I got everybody, wait, wait, wait. I go, right, what's wrong? What's wrong? Is he right? Is he, what's happening? The artist's not going to go on. 
They said, yeah, it's threatening not to go on. Why? Because Sola's going to want to walk through the, the, the backstage. I said, what? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Oh, my God. You know, are How you How do you serious? manage that, Hazel? Are you serious? See, this is where, this is no. where I mean, you've no. earned your reputation, and I know you're not one to, um, to, to sit and listen to long soliloquies about your incredible successes. But for, for any human being to take on, in that moment, a situation between Sol Kersner and Barry Manilow, and actually emerge with a show, that's, uh, yeah, that's that, guerrilla. That's that, guerrilla-sized that, behavior. That, that was a fun one because, you know, Sol's attitude is I'm paying this son of a bitch. The old guy. <laughs> and, 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 and if he's, if he's going to, and tell him to back up and come. No, Sol, just to me, if I've got a full house, anyway, I got, got Manilow back in his dressing room, got Sol come through, Sol was Angry, you know, with that Wasn't angry Wasn't going to enjoy face. the show no matter what. He was what. never going to enjoy the show. So he sat with us. You this, came this along <laughs> just yeah. like yeah. a song and Sol sitting there going, I want nothing to do no, with No, I said, how can I, how, how can I murder you? Is there some way I can cut your legs off? Wow. Uh, and, and, uh, Manila, oh, he was just, uh, you know, just had such a, and I never dreamed it would be somebody like him who had such an ego that one could not actually deal with him during that period. <laughs> Now, I don't know if he's changed subsequently or there was well, something been, to do with that. He's been through a lot. He's been through a lot. And I think but, he's, uh, he's, he would probably be embarrassed if he ever heard this. Yeah. Well, I mean, he has to remember it because uh, there, there, there were, you know, 6,000 people who were privy to it because so, it was screaming all the way Needless to say, you, you didn't book him after, after that again. No, I didn't bring him back. Uh, no, I never brought him now, back. Now, I've no. also – I mean, you did, you did bring Tina Turner, right? No, I actually didn't bring Tina Turner. Oh. Uh, Tina came to Sun City after I'd already left. Oh. And uh, however, I did know Tina when she came out in 1980 for Ronnie Quabell, for the late Ronnie Quabell. Wow. I don't know if people remember, but she actually played the Coliseum. Tina Good came heavens. out in 1980 and played the Coliseum. And I was handling the PR and marketing for the late Ronnie Quabell, who was the impresario at the time who brought her out. And Ronnie was, Ronnie was one of those guys who was nowhere to be seen. He would bring him, bring him out and it would be, okay, Hazel, deal with it. And that's kind of, I suppose, where I cut my teeth on everything. And, uh, um, she came out in 1980 and I got pretty close to her because we were the only people she knew. In a, she actually sang Happy Birthday to Sam uh, at uh, on his 40th at that time. That gives you how old he is That's today. That's phenomenal. And, um, uh, but, no, I never brought her out. She went through we – she was going to come out, funny enough, in the late 80s. She was going to come out, but she hit Mad Max. Mm. And the Mad Max took off and her agent and Tina actually said to me, I met with them. And she said, I can't do it. I just can't. You know, it, um, it's finally happening for me. It's going through the roof. I, I just can't do it. And I had a, I had a, a contract, but an unsigned contract. And wow. I would, but I'd never have held it to it in any case because it was a very difficult time and I would never have stepped in and uh, held it to it. Not at all. These relationships that have lasted through the years, I mean, you, you really probably had the most interest. In those days, you had a Rolodex, right? You had a, you had a phone book. Kind of. I mean, yeah. you could have 
you could have pulled that out and and wowed pretty much anybody and probably still can because i'm i'm fairly confident that a lot of these people did become friends not not in the long term you know it's a, it's a strange business and and life is strange and things have changed um so you lose contact mm. with people there while I was still with Sun City and, and, and rolling with everything that was going, I spent quite a lot of time with, uh, it's interesting, with a woman, with Dolly Parton. I went to her place oh. with, uh, with Tina, uh, Eliza, um, and uh, Anne Margaret. Um, yes, I actually, the actress. Uh, yeah, she, she came out. She did a fantastic show. And... Uh, but but over the years things changed and, and it was strange. I, I had this kind of thing at the end of end of the nineties. Um I'd done the Rolling Stones and then we did the three tenors and everything and I was in Australia and I went to see a friend of mine who was one of the biggest promoters in, in Australia, uh Kevin Jacobson, and he was producing a musical called Fame. Yes, and I, he said it's a completely new take on fame. So I thought, okay, it's it's in rehearsal. He said, come and watch. We're doing a run through of Act One. So we went out there and, and actually saw that. And I thought, oh, I love this. I love this. I haven't produced a musical. I've produced twenty five extravaganzas, but this is different. A musical is different, and it just, I don't know. Something just tweaked in me. I thought, I love this, and we went into suddenly this process of producing fame. And as a musical, and then I suddenly got hooked back into musicals. Uh, and it I mean, had been a long, long, long time since I'd done musicals or been, been involved with proper musical theater. And, and that bug then suddenly bit me. And then I kind of lost interest in, in all of the concerts. So, so stuff. you, you, you outed me as not being a massive musical fan. But when I look at the list of things that you've done, I've, I've been to a few of yours. I went to Mamma Mia. Mm. Which I think at that one, Benny and Bjorn were there. No, no, they didn't come. Not through. no, they didn't come to us. Um, no, Jersey Boys. Been Jersey, to that. Jersey Boys. Great show. Was a great show. Amazing show. Jersey Boys. Was um, a fabulous show. Uh, I, I I didn't go to Priscilla, but I've been to Annie. I mean, these are oh. these are all enormous, incredible Chicago. dream girls. For God's sake. Dream you girls. Know? Dream girls is is probably my 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 saddest story because. Why? It's probably one of the one of, I'd put them up with the top five productions that we did uh, in terms of quality of production. I couldn't get it off the ground here. I had t- uh, ten weeks in Joburg and I had eight weeks in Cape Town and I had to pull the plug after eight weeks in Joburg. It did not sell. Despite it did not sell the the, the huge the, amount of publicity the and noise around. The huge publicity, it. the huge noise, <clears throat> the brilliant cast, and they were wow. brilliant, and it was world class. And I don't know what it was. The audience just didn't take to it. Just didn't take to it. And it's one of my one of my one of my saddest stories because when you do something that everybody is raving about, I never had reviews like I've had for Dreamgirls ever, ever. And so we really thought, okay, it's off a low base. We knew, we saw, but it's going to climb. The word of mouth is going to kick in and it's going to sell. And it just spluttered. It's very, you very can't sad. win them all, right? No. And yeah. do you think that there is a secret formula? Like when you see something, because you have the most trained eye and ear in the business for this, even now I would say you do. When you see or hear something, you just go, mm, this is going to work or this isn't. Or is it still – 
largely up to chance and luck. And a lot of it's up to chance. Some of it's up to luck. I mean, th- there's certain standards that you know will roll. I, I think Mamma Mia is a perennial. Uh, that's a kind of a show you can bring back, you can do. Uh, there'll always be an audience. It's a Which, fun, feel-good. Again, you're the one I can check this with. Is it true that they were offered a billion dollars, ABBA, to get back together for a just a show? For a show. I, I heard something about that as well, that they were and offered they by no. somebody. But they did get together for that uh, reunion, reunion yeah. in the UK, and they've got this virtual ABBA thingy going. There. So Apparently I mean, there's, a, there's a phone in the ABBA Museum, <clears throat> and sometimes you can – if it rings, you, can pick, you can't phone from it, but if it rings, it's from Benny's house, and he's sitting at the piano, and you can actually hear him at the piano. you kidding. And you could, if you pick it up when it rings, sometimes you can hear him sitting at the piano. I didn't know that. That's it amazing. That's weird, That's right? That's weird. <laughs> That's weird. I heard that the other day, yeah. and I checked. It is true. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, oh, they, uh, these guys are just – I mean, they're also phenomenal, okay. right? Phenomenal on, on another level. Um, I mean, they also wrote chess, didn't they? Uh, Benny and yeah, Co-wrote. Co-wrote with it. But uh, listen, it's uh, – you know, it's, it's not everybody's cup of tea. No. But at the same time, you cannot watch that musical without coming out with a smile on your face. You've just had fun. It might be candy floss and bubble gum, but it works. Well, your your son is equally talented in picking up what people are, are keen on. And, I mean, just the other day, Pumi Mashiko, who does the show with me here, was going mad about someone I'd never heard before. And you told me that you actually went to see the show mm-hmm. and that you couldn't believe how amazing this was. Gregory Porter, uh, I've got to be honest, I hadn't heard of him. Yeah. Um, Tony said to me, I'm bringing out Gregory Porter. I'm very excited. I said, oh, Uh-oh. my God, who is Gregory Porter. So he, he immediately YouTubes and I'm listening to Gregory Porter and there's this voice that is this combination of a, of an Isaac Hayes and a Barry White. And wow. I think 90% of, of your audience won't remember who Isaac Hayes and Barry White are, but the, that's that, that, that beautiful bass, sonorous, uh, yeah, uh jazz yeah. voice. Oh, just absolutely. Can't get enough brilliant. of your love, baby. Oh. That kind of thing. And, oh. and I thought, okay, that's cool, but does anybody know him? I mean, I don't know him. And of course, Tony looked at me and said, um, just don't worry about it. Okay. It's, uh, <laughs> don't worry about it. It's not, you're, you're I'm not, patronizing you're, you no, not at all. You're not the target market. So don't worry about it. And, uh, it was phenomenal. We, we had, uh, five sold out shows. What was lovely? We did it at the Teatro. So mm. it was up close and personal. In the theater, 1,800 seats. People were loving it. It was so intimate. It was fantastic. And then we did it in the gardens, the Kirstenbosch Gardens mm. in Cape Town. On a glow, we had, we were blessed with the weather. And it was just beautiful, you know, twilight show into, oh, into wow. the night. And, and it, it's probably <laughs> one of the only places in the world right now where people come to a show and they carry, they're carrying bottles. They're bringing their own bottles. They're bringing knives. To slice the bultong and the cheese yeah. and everything, and they're laying out on their blankets and having their picnics, and Very nobody civilized. says a word. Well, no. A word. It was absolutely magnificent, and he was just fantastic. And uh, clearly, there's a, there's a market for that genre of 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 quality jazz production here. 
Well, you say there's a market. You've, you've opened up markets. You've created markets where there weren't any before. Hopefully. And more especially, and I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that, you know, you and I could sit and talk for hours and people would want to listen for hours. But you have to get on with the business. <laughs> You're not here for your health. And it is incredible to me that every person who's ever asked about a concert will remember who they were there with. Mm. They'll remember what the weather was like. They'll remember how it felt. And they'll tell you those things. And so many of them, I think I can speak on behalf of at least a few and say thank you for creating these incredible moments that everyone in South Africa would never have had yeah. if it wasn't for Hazel Feldman. I think there are a lot. We're actually, uh, for a small country, uh, we've got some really, really good people who do a lot of really good things. I mean, IT and big concerts have been going for years. Yeah. They do bring out some great stuff. Peter Turin's been producing some phenomenal stuff for years. It's it's good to be in, in that in that company. And it's always great as far as us, as I said to you, my my greatest excitement always is to stand at the back of the theatre and just see people standing on their feet and just singing along. And, I mean, listening to, to Gregory Porter, mm. there, there were times where the band was jamming. He wasn't even singing and he had the microphones out to the audience. The audience was singing every that's single special. word to the song. It's that, as you say, those are memories and uh, that's the value of theatre and that's the value of concerts and the value of entertainment. And and it's, uh, I just wish politically here there would be a lot more serious consideration of the number of people that we employ, that the fact that we are a business, that we are a business, an industry to be taken well, seriously. I'm and glad I you brought that, that up because the last three years kind of been easy for anyone no, in the entertainment no. industry and you sort of had a bird's eye view of that because Terrible. you know the artists, you know the musicians, you know the promoters, you know the people who stand at the theater doors yeah, and they must have been coming to you with the most atrocious stories. Horrendous stories. And, and what was so, and that's why I say I would love for us not to be the lowest man on the totem pole in this country where a sport seems to get all the funding, all the sponsorship, all the government involvement and the theater and, and industry and the entertainment industry gets nothing. The three years were horrendous. Uh, the, the, um, there was no support for the industry whatsoever from government. Uh, the theatres and the and the industries in the UK, in the US, and in Australia were were floated, unbelievably supported by the by their governments, and because they understand the value of it, and they understand the depth. I mean, even on a, a production like We Will Rock You at this moment, we are behind the scenes. I have seventy five. Backstage workers, seventy-five, on on stage. That's there seventy-five are 20, families. Yeah, the, on stage there are twenty-seven performers. In total, backstage seventy-five people. We have been touring. Now they went to Manila. They went to Singapore. Uh, we've been touring. We tour with a touring company of fifty-four people. That's a lot of families taking care of through one thing, and that's just one element of it because. Mm. Behind the scenes, there's the people who build the sets, there's the people who, who work on the lighting, and there's the people who provide the lighting, and, and so it goes. And there are so, people who, you know, who cook the food and who people are who in do the, the accommodation. And, and in the box offices and the food and beverage in the places and all of that. And uh, it's an industry. 
it's it's not it's not a frivolous no it's not some situation. luxury thing it that only it's an know, industry the first world should have and hopefully we have a new minister you tell me we do um, okay. he's someone i i know reasonably well zizi kodwa um, okay but I don't want to be too cynical. Let's let him get into it first. Good. Well, hopefully he's listening. I, and I, if will, he send is, him, I will send him this interview. He needs, he needs to know that uh, we honestly do need to be taken a lot more seriously. If we can even get a third of what they get, a tenth of what they give to sport, yeah. wouldn't that be wonderful? You so, know how so many there, people would benefit from that? Oh. Is there a recovery? I think it's going to be a longer recovery than we would like, we would have liked, because we've also now, remember, in Joburg, we've lost the dome. And mm-hmm. we don't have a massive – I mean, it was from a sound point of view not the greatest. No, but, but, but just think about it. <laughs> yeah. Johannesburg does not have an arena. No. So we have the Grand West, which is only five 6,000 in Cape Town. We have Menlin in, uh, in Pretoria. Pretoria, which is about 8,000. Johannesburg, the city of Johannesburg, this world-class African city, does not have a performing arena. Whether it's you know whether it's I can't do Disney on Ice anymore. Disney on Ice has has it, we're struggling to try and find an alternate and venue. That was hugely popular. I mean, families. We did eight years of every single winter, uh, July, we did Disney on Ice. Over a hundred and fifty thousand. People came to see the shows in Joburg, Durban, and Cape Town, and families, new kids, new kids experiencing live theatre, the live experience, and and coming, the families coming, and it was just fantastic. We need, we don't have an arena in Joburg. It's 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 the it's most ludicrous it's outrageous. thing. Think about it. Yeah, no, it's outrageous. You know, I I did just did Sting, and I said Sting couldn't come to Joburg, so Sting's in Pretoria. Yeah, and that yeah. again, limited crowd. Yeah, because it's only so big. Yeah, I mean, you you but, <laughs> you but, used to you know. used to do Ellis Park and yeah. And well, the, you uh, know, we can put FNB Stadium. Monster Jam has to go into the very very big stadiums. We understand that, but there are so many artists who are arena artists. So oh. many shows that are arena shows, and we don't have a covered arena in this in this city. I mean, it's just so there's weird. there's something for the Joburg mayor yeah. to figure out yeah, because exactly. actually, how embarrassing that we can't do this stuff. So true, so true. Well, I'm thrilled that I finally got to sit sit down with you and talk a little bit about some of these things that uh, have been going on recently, but also, you know, to remind people because whoever's listening to this will go, "Oh my God, that was that I remember that," <laughs> or or "Oh wow, I didn't know that," yeah. and. I just love that there are so many stories that we still have to hear from you. And I know that there are going to be many more experiences that we get to have. Thanks to you and thanks, obviously, to Tony. And, uh, and uh, tell Sam I say hi. Love Shall him. do. He's great. You're just an incredible family and you are the, you're the, 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 the super mega of the entertainment business. No, bless you. Just getting old. Kind of been around for such a long time. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Always so humble. Love you, Hazel. Hazel, you're just amazing. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Lovely. Thank you. Amazing.